Since the end of apartheid in the 1990s, visitors from around the world are discovering South Africa. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're getting an insider's guide to the place Desmond Tutu calls the Rainbow Nation. With stunning scenery, trendy wine, charming architecture, and awe-inspiring wilderness safaris, South Africa has an understandable allure. I would say Africa just captures people's hearts. In just a moment, Carmen Arnott joins us. She was raised in South Africa and now helps visitors plan trips to her homeland. With Carmen, we'll feel the racing pulse of cosmopolitan Cape Town and venture into the country's struggling and revealing townships. We'll also learn how to experience the essence of South Africa and let it capture our hearts. It's all coming right up on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and I'm Rick Steves. Right now, we're traveling to South Africa. People love safaris, and uh, I hear about all sorts of different safari destinations, and more and more people are talking about going down to South Africa for a safari. And there's much more to a travel experience in South Africa than just checking out the wild animals. You've got booming cosmopolitan cities, you've got vibrant tribal life, you've got some pretty exotic beaches, and you've got I think, a lot of interesting side trips you can take from that sort of springboard to the wonders of Southern Africa. I have with me today Carmen Arnott, who's raised in Cape Town, and she works now in the United States as a program director for a tour company. And Carmen's going to tell us a little bit about travel in South Africa. Carmen, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Rick. It's nice to be here. So you're a tour director for Wildland Adventures, uh, program director, actually. What does that mean? It's a combination of dealing with anybody who wants to go to Southern Africa, getting to understand what they're looking for, and then either matching them up with trips that we already have or helping them plan a private trip, you know, to meet exactly their interests. Over and above that, um, it also includes designing the safaris, working with the lodges, the guides in Southern Africa, making sure that we understand what they need, making sure that the people going on the trips are fully prepared as well. So it's it's pretty much directing the whole program, anybody traveling to Southern Africa. And helping sort through their options. Oh, absolutely. That's the biggest part of my job. Now, you grew up in South Africa. Do you consider yourself a South African or or Yes, absolutely. Now, what do you want? Let's say you, you meet somebody, they're going to South Africa. As a South African, what do you want them to experience? Everything. I mean, it's such an amazing country. There's so much to see and do. Um, I think that that's, that's the biggest challenge is trying to figure out exactly what to do because whether you spend two weeks there or a month, you could still continue to travel for another month. Okay, um, well, that's just... not, not realistic for most Americans no. who have the shortest <laughs> vacation in the rich world. So let's say I've got 10 days for South Africa. How would I break those days down what, to get a well-rounded experience? I want more than just animals in the wild. I would definitely recommend some time in Cape Town, really cosmopolitan city, and it's a great introduction to Africa because it is such a modern first world country, but yet has so many third world elements to it still as well. Um, Cape Town has Table Mountain, um, great coastline, beaches, mountain scenery. There's the penguin colony of Boulders Beach right there. So at least two or three days in and around the city seeing the amazing scenery. Um, there's also a lot of great culture in and around Cape Town. Um, Robben Island is, is, in my opinion, a must-see. It's where Nelson Mandela was incarcerated under the apartheid era. And all of the guides on Robben Island are ex-political prisoners. Okay, so, so Cape, in and around Cape Town, and then where would you go? And then I would, again, um, I really like the wine country. Cape, South Africa has a really amazing wine industry that's really becoming recognized around the world. So maybe a day or two in the wine country, going to a few wine estates, doing some hiking, some mountain biking perhaps. And then from there I would go up and definitely we can't forget about the wildlife. Oh, no. no that's the primary the, reason, I would think. The, the Kruger area for at least three to five days. Okay. I would say a minimum time on safari is three nights, four days. Okay, so I got my normal American-style vacation, and mm-hmm. I'm going to spend three or four days in and around Cape Town, a couple days wine country, and the balance doing the safari thing in the Kruger National Park. Now, 
you say right off the bat Cape Town, not Johannesburg. Is there, if you're going to see one big city, why Cape Town? Primarily um, scenic beauty would be the number one reason. It has just amazing mountain scenery, coastlines, terrific beaches. Am I more comfortable as a first world tourist in Cape Town rather than Johannesburg? Um, with regards to safety, Johannesburg definitely does have some safety concerns. Um, I wouldn't recommend just hiring a car and driving around Johannesburg because you can find yourself in 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 a unsafe area pretty quickly. So Whereas, jo- in other words, Johannesburg has some poor neighborhoods that would be dicey for you to drive through. Absolutely, but so does Cape Town, as do all mm-hmm. big metropolitan cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know Johannesburg as well. I grew up primarily in Cape Town. Certainly, I do recommend, um, with the international flight schedules, at least one night in Johannesburg is often required, coming in and out. Oh, is that right? So that's really the flying gateway, is Johannesburg? Yes, it is. It's the hub. And Johannesburg has Soweto, which is by far the biggest township in South Africa. Wow. I want to talk about township tourism uh, a little bit later, but I'm still talking uh, big picture here. And then the other, uh, there's three elements you've had, the urban... uh, South Africa, you got the wine country and the wildlife. Now, to me, the wine country is kind of a surprise. Most of us have seen the wine, people who love wine have seen the wineries in California or we've seen the wineries in France. Why would you go all the way to South Africa to see wineries? Well, it's it's really sort of the the scenery and the habitat um, and everything else that goes with South Africa's wine country. Um, Yes, there is the wineries and you could do one or two in a day, but also in that area is just an amazing collection of Cape Dutch architecture. Cape Dutch architecture, what's mm-hmm. that? It is the style of architecture adopted by the very first settlers, in, and Cape Town was where the very first settlers, European settlers. So these are like colonial mansions and so on? Yes. So, I mean, because that's the great. Original if, I was going to the, if I was going yes. to the south of the United States, the deep south, I'd want to see you know, old colonial uh, mansions and, and so on. Uh, and uh, you get that actually from the original Dutch settlers? Yes. 1700, something like that, these things go back? Late 1600s through the 17s, and then the the mass group of, of immigrants was the British in the early 1800s. And these buildings survive? Yes. And you have that elegance, that old colonial, rich sort of overlord kind of thing still surviving? Definitely. Wow. So that would give your wine tasting a little different twist from California. Oh, yeah. Completely different and also different scenery. Um, the ma- definitely much more jagged mountains um, with rich valleys where the wineries mm. are in. Just great scenery. There's also some great mountain biking and hiking in and around that area. Okay. So a tour planner would put this together for you. You'd talk to the tour planner and they'd say, I got 10 days. I like wine. I don't want to get mugged. Uh, I've never seen a big animal in the wilds. And you'd put it together and you would o- arrange the transfers, the hotels, the guides and this sort of thing? Yes. It's such a difficult destination because there's so much <laughs> yeah. to see and, and do. And um, must no, be a big I part of your it, work is just sorting through all of this. It's yeah, it's really important for me to get to know what interests you and your family, and then I can make um, recommendations based on that. It doesn't help for me to just start talking about the country. I really have to get something from you, as in I'm really interested in culture, and safari would be nice. That that at least gives me a focus. I'm talking with Carmen Arnott. She's raised in Cape Town, South Africa. Today she works with a company called Wildland Adventures, and we're learning about South Africa. This is Rick Steves. You're listening to Travel with Rick Steves. I want to get right in, Carmen, here to the safari kind of uh, magic. Now, first of all, when you think of safaris, I think of Kenya and uh, East Africa. How would you distinguish going on a safari in South Africa as opposed to East Africa? Most people are going to do like one great safari in their life, And I I would just assume they would do Kenya. Okay. Um, Obviously, having grown up there, I don't automatically (laughs) assume Kenya. But um, the the big difference between an East Africa safari and a Southern Africa safari is South Africa and Southern Africa has much more varied topography and habitats. And we offer more adventurous safaris in South Africa. You can go out on walking safaris um, and canoeing safaris and... Um, horseback safaris, as well as spend time in vehicles. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I was kind of thinking, because I know river rafting, and I know you can take a little white water or a lot of white water. When it comes to safaris, are there more adventurous, more demanding, more challenging safaris? And then if somebody's a little timid, you'd recommend, well, take this one, and we'll just look at it from a little more um, mild approach. If somebody wants to be very aggressive, would they choose a different kind of safari? 
being in such a sensitive natural environment, I wouldn't say that there are too many aggressive safari options. Even the walking safari and the canoeing safari are not particularly strenuous mm-hmm. or fast-paced mm-hmm. because it's all about the wildlife. And okay, so regardless it. of your um, interest in thrills and your physical abilities, that really doesn't come into consideration when you're choosing a safari. Yeah, n- not at all. Um, it's your adventure level with regards to whitewater rafting and bungee jumping and skydiving and all of that can be combined with a safari, but it's okay. not going to happen while you're actually on well, safari. That's, that's good to know. And then you, apparently you have different sort of themes of safaris. One might be for uh, canoeing, one might be for bird watching, one might be for photography. Is that true? Definitely. We have culturally focused trips. We definitely have excellent birding guides. So, you know, so it, I like to think that all of the trips would cater to a really wide variety of interests. Now, do you ever survey people and find out what were the magic moments? I mean, what do you find really people take home as the highlight of their trip? What is the, what is the magic moment? I would say Africa just captures people's hearts. Um, it really it gets into your blood. And now, give me something specific. The, something the specific. tiger eating the hyena. Come on, what was the magic moment? It's probably not that. It's getting up in the morning and listening to the baboon slide down the side of your canvas tent, or running into a hyena on your way to dinner, or trying to go to sleep with that grunt of hippos right outside your room all night. Um, it's, it's all of those things. You, you're just amazed that you're trying in Trying to there. go to sleep with a grunt of hippos? Yes. Is that what a, a herd of hippos is called? <laughs> a grunt? No, just the, the, the Oh, the, the grunt laughing. of hippos. I'm yeah. sorry. I see. Okay. The, the laughing of the hippos. The grunting yeah. of the hippos. Wow. <laughs> now, about that, the majesty of, of, you know, one animal eating another. I see people, they bring home their photographs, and you're invariably going to see some of this, um, the, the bloody reality of the food chain, right? Definitely. Now, does that, uh, is that is there a majesty there or is there a disgust there for people? Or how do people respond to that? I have never experienced a disgust for it. I think it's an overwhelming awe. Oh, that's the good word. Yeah. Awe. It must, it must awe-inspire people. It, it is. Um, you're almost speechless when you're there and you're watching wildlife interact with each other and you watch the whole process of the food chain, everything from when the lion takes down the buffalo to when the hyenas try to come in and steal the prey to when the vultures start circling. It's just it's such a great experience. And you are speechless as you're sitting there watching it. And the guide can anticipate this and prepare people. Yes. Picturing the safari in your imagination yet? We'll continue talking with Carmen about going on a safari and more South African travel thrills. It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
877-333-RICK or radio at ricksteves.com. That's how you reach us at Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Carmen Arnott, by the way, and she's from Cape Town. She works in the United States now with Wildland Adventures, and we're talking about safaris in South Africa. Carmen, tell me, just take me through a typical day. Um, what is a typical day on a safari? I'm, I'm way into the savannah now or whatever, and uh, uh, from getting up to the end of the day. Okay. You get up before the sun gets up, and you usually get woken with a cup of coffee and something really like to eat a muffin or a, or a biscuit or a cookie or something along those lines. And you set out straight away in the safari vehicle. And the reason for that is um, the animals are most active at dawn and at dusk. So you get up really early and you're watching the sun come up as you're driving out into the bush. And you know, really every single day is so different because you, you just don't know what you're going to see. And you're out there with your guide and he's following animals and sort of trying to understand everything that's going on and it, interpreting it for you. And that's typically about a two to three hour experience. You then go back to your lodge or your camp and there's a big breakfast waiting. And then after after breakfast, what we, we call it the downtime of the day. Um, there's often a pool or you can you can choose to set out on a walk or, or there's usually a variety of options for you, but it's the downtime because it's now gotten too hot during the day for the animals to really be active. Hmm. And you relax at the lodge, read a book, and then around 3.30 p.m. they serve tea and coffee and you set out again with your safari guide and you're now watching the movement of the animals right before sunset. And typically on any safari, you'll end up in just the most, you'll come around a corner and your guide has just brought you to the most beautifully scenic place. Mm. And they'll serve sundowners, which is the South African term for drinks at sunset. And you'll have sundowners, watch the sunset over the African bush, and then continue on your game drive um, in the dark. So that's what we call a night drive. And then you get to see the species that, that are nocturnal, such as bush wow. babies. And and then you return back to the lodge and dinner's waiting for you. So there's a rhythm dictated by nature. Very and, much so. And uh, thankfully, from a photography point of view, the mad, what photographers call the magic hour, the, the hours right around sunrise and sunset, that's when the light is best, and that's also when the animals are out. Yes. Wow. And then you enjoy your accommodations during the middle of the day when people in the hot parts of the world will be having a siesta. Yes. That's exactly right. Tell me about the accommodations. Is it rustic tents or is it lavish lodges or what's the deal? Again, we try to cater for all different interests and and level of adventure. So we do everything from dome dome tent camping in small groups of a maximum of eight people. So they set up the dome tents on a daily basis to luxury lodges that you're flying into and flying out of. I think a lot of travelers, if they're considering a trip to South Africa and getting into the wilds, are wondering about, you know, the basics, the basics. You're, you're out there in the middle of the nowhere. Do you, have, do you dig a toilet or what's the toilet situation? All of the safaris have bathroom facilities, so it's not um, the spade off into the bush or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are occasionally when we have the, the mobile camps, for example, when you're dome tent camping, the toilet is dug every day and it's actually a flush toilet. So technology has advanced that much that we can now have mobile flushing toilets in the bush. What about showers? On the camping safaris is obviously the the bigger challenge. Solar heated? No, we actually heat the the water over big fire pits and bring it at sort of the perfect shower temperature. It's great because you don't have to wait for the hot and cold and try and get that perfect mix. The water is actually brought, you fill up the shower, which is an old tin can bucket with a shower spigot on the bottom. So you fill up the shower bucket, they hoist it up, and then it's a gravity-fed shower. What about bugs, poison critters, big snakes? Um, I've, I've never experienced a snake on safari. Typically, you don't see them. Our footsteps and our pounding on the ground does scare them off way before you arrive in the area. So critters, poison critters get scared away, you say? Yes. But typically. bugs, you can't scare bugs away. No, and I must say that I would find the Midwest here in the summer way more buggy. Huh. Than, than a typical um, safari day. We do, we do recommend, um, especially at sunset, that's, that tends to be when mosquitoes come mm-hmm. out, that you wear long pants and a long sleeve shirt and socks so that you are covering most of your, most of your skin. Now, you hear, does, you hear some kind of safety issues. There are occasional disasters, obviously, by stupid tourists or something. But, I mean, I, I, I read about a, I think a Taiwanese tourist who got all excited after seeing a pride of lions 
left the left the vehicle, left the motor on, it ran out of gas, and when they found this person, all it was was one hand clutching the camera, and the Pride Alliance made him dinner. Uh, does this actually, how often does this happen? Unfortunately, um, it it happens, I would say, probably every year, you know, yeah. one or two incidences So a these year. aren't just cute little pussycats. These are real animals. You get in the way, it can no, be a nasty and, mistake. And you are told, um, for example, Kruger National Park is, is definitely South Africa's biggest park. You are told, you're given flyers, do not get out of your vehicle under any circumstances. Even if you're only looking at an elephant miles away, hmm. you don't know what's hiding behind the back of your car or behind the back of the tree or, the, or that bush over there. So you are told not to get out of your car. So you stay in the car? Absolutely. So but it's an open car. I mean, that's just like a buffet line. I, I should I should clarify here. Kruger National Park is a national park. Right. Anybody can go in. So you can take your regular sedan vehicle in okay. and self-guide yourself through the park. Okay. Those are the accidents you're hearing about. The okay. tourist who hired a car and drove himself through Kruger and then got out of his car went walking. If you're with a professional safari guide, the chances of something like that happening are very, very small because they know animal behavior so well. Now, Kruger National Park, is that like where the, the lion's share of the uh, safaris in South Africa go? It's definitely, yeah, I would say so. Now, there's a parallel uh, sort of uh, cultural experience that people can have, and that's checking out uh, tribal life and uh, the Zulu uh, v- tribes people and so on. How much uh, of a part of the experience is that when you think of taking people to South Africa? I think anybody traveling to South Africa almost can't miss the cultural experience. It's all around you. South Africa has 11 official languages. So just by arriving, the road signs are usually in two or three languages. Um, And there are so many cultural experiences to choose from. As I said, Robben Island is one of them. Um, Johannesburg has the Apartheid Museum. That's a cultural experience. It's a history experience as well. Um, but with regards to actual village visits, uh, yeah, I'm and talking meeting gods the... must be crazy kind of <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Here's the Zulus, and I'm in my uh, with my big camera with a safari. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Do you do you uh, meet the heads person of the tribe or? Or how do you handle that? Okay. Um, I should also say that you know South Africa really is. Um, uh, evolving country and a lot of that traditional African way of life has changed and it's evolved. So for example, um, I spent um, a good amount of time in Zululand which is where the Zulu tribe is most prominent and I was with a, a cultural expert guide and he was explaining to me how the Zulu people living in these traditional villages and huts in Zululand have managed to incorporate um, the modern beliefs of the Western world with their traditional beliefs. So it is evolving. There are no villages that are not set up for tourists, I should say. So there are tourist destinations where they're showing you the traditional way of life. In other words, every Zulu experience you have is going to be one that is set up and they're prepared for the tourists to come. If you're looking for that traditional experience, yes. Yeah, it's probably like seeing a folk show in, in Norway or something. I mean, it's sort of... It's just not how the people, people are living now. Is that right? So the real the, the real traditional lifestyles are just in sort of open-air folk museums for visitors. Yes, definitely. This is what I love about South Africa is that, that the real cultural experience is actually going into those modern villages and yeah. learning about their lives, how they have incorporated the, the demands of That's the Western world. That's township tourism, with, right? No, the... Township tourism is a completely different cultural experience. Before we get into the towns, if you want to have the traditional tribal lifestyles, it's going to be sort of set up in a cultural exchange kind of way in South Africa. I suppose if you went to other countries, you'd find it a little more in the wild. Again, it it would be... um, for example, it's not like the Maasai, who have really right. stayed as traditional as that's, possible. I guess that's my question. In South yes. Africa, it's so modern that everybody is modern people now. Well, yeah. I mean, they're still living a traditional lifestyle, but they're not in their loincloths. Right, so they've and incorporated yes. the, the modern. They've embraced the modern world while, exactly. while respecting their traditions. Correct. Correct. <laughs> 
We have some uh, some callers, some travelers on the line. I've got Andy uh, in the, on the line from Seattle. Thanks for your call. Uh, did you have some question for Carmen about uh, townships and life yeah, well, in Yeah, I have a few uh, questions and also some comments from what I've heard that may or may not be useful to you. Um, I happened to be in Johannesburg last summer. It was my first trip to South Africa. I'm an urban kind of guy. I uh, enjoyed myself a lot. I didn't know enough to be uh, nervous, and so I went uh, readily to Soweto and Alexandra, another township, Um, and I noticed that uh, most people, blacks and whites, were being more cautious than I was being. I'm going to Cape Town, uh, my first trip there, and I wondered if you had any advice to me on the kind of cautions you would exercise on such a trip. Well, Andy, I just, sorry, I wanted to ask a little more about your Soweto and Alexandria experience. Did you go in with a local person or did you just go in on your own? I did both. I uh, was typically accompanied by somebody who was South African. uh, And I noticed, for example, they were very careful not to open the boot, as they called it, of the car for fear that somebody would see what might be in it, and if we left it even for a while, it might be stolen. They also would typically hire somebody to stand over the car while they were gone. Okay. So there were these cautions uh, that I, you could clearly see. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what I saw in, the, in each of these uh, areas was energy, uh, small businesses, people uh, trying to improve themselves in a variety of ways. So it's a very complex environment, and I found... Uh, energizing. I would, in fact, recommend anybody who goes to South Africa should visit townships. But I'm, I'm, I guess, I'm asking you what general cautions you would you would emphasize. Okay, I I definitely would recommend that you go um, to visit any township or any kind of cultural experience with a member from the local community. That and it's like with anything, you wouldn't go into somebody's home uninvited. Um, and by by being led around a community by a member of that community, you're automatically welcomed by the local people, and and they feel more relaxed because they know exactly why you're there. So that is a very important part about any cultural tourism, and especially in the townships. Now, that's organized through a, a tourist board or a tourist information office or a tour company like yeah. yours, where you tour a township being escorted by a local person. A local person from that community. That's the essential part there, yes. So are you saying you really would be, it would be inappropriate to go in there alone and, and yes. foolhardy? Yes, it it would be inappropriate. It would be quite rude, actually, to to go in and. Okay. Um, well, Andy, you did. You went in alone. Did you feel rude, or did you just feel like you were being well, reckless? I think uh, I felt um, uh, sponsored enough. Actually, I'm always comfortable walking into new places, and it, my experience is, is you're open enough to what you're seeing and ask some questions that display some ignorance but real interest. Yeah you'll generally find people who want to engage you in a conversation about whatever that is. But you don't quite know if you're, um, if you're getting yourself into physical danger sometimes. That's my concern. That, that was uh, my that problem. I might have been more in danger than I knew. Because I'm fascinated by going into barrios in Central America <clears throat> in, in these big cities that have horrible poverty, and I, I want to walk in there and into the little communities where they're ripping the electricity right off of the wire by tapping into it illegally and where, you know, everybody's just living on top of each other in a ravine where nobody else wants to have a house. To walk through there, it's a rich travel experience, but you don't quite know what people are thinking when they look at you, and you don't quite know if you're walking into a, an ambush because, you know, your camera's one year's wages. Exactly. That always could be the case. My biggest concern as well is um, within these townships, it's it's almost like a city within a city. Within mm. these townships, they also have their safer areas and then their gang-related areas or the drug-related areas. So within a township, you also have safer areas and Good less point. safe areas. Yeah. And, the, and the casual Andy walking through there or Rick walking through might there, you would be oblivious. Turn. Yeah, and you yeah. might walk into a place where even people from the township wouldn't want to go. Exactly. And that, that, that's, what, that's my biggest caution. That's why you want a local escort. Excellent point. Could I make a couple other points from my last visit that sure. I think might, might turn out to be useful for visitors? I would recommend very much that somebody gets a cell phone locally if you're planning to be in contact with anybody. It's hard to find any other kind of phone. They're relatively inexpensive. Uh, you can get a, a cheap GSM phone. You can pop in a chip and make calls very inexpensively. And if it's like Europe, you can do that for uh, 50 or 60 bucks. You can get the cheapest phone in the corner phone shop. Even less. Right, good. And I think that really turned out to be very useful for me. Yeah, great idea. Um, the other, I guess another comment, I, would, I, I was amazed at what a hero Nelson Mandela continues to be to everybody black and white. 
black and white. He, he wow. really is a distinctive character. For example, I think favored over former and current politicians of any color. And I think part of this seemed to be, as I talked to people about it, the truth and reconciliation uh, process he engaged in. I think that made a tremendous difference. Is he able difference. to still be a leader while not getting embroiled in partisan politics? My is impression he... is he's actually careful not to get yeah. involved with specific uh, candidates, but he's still, he's still important to the way they think about the future of the country. That's a smart move for um, charismatic leaders like that all over the world who have helped their nations out of problems, is to try to stay above that and be, yeah. The other, I guess, quick comment would be I was interested in the ways in which they were confronting their problems especially with AIDS in a variety of ways. I noticed, for example, what really surprised me is there was Sesame Street locally, but the stories they were dealing with were small children who had gotten AIDS and how they still could be accepted by their fellow school. In a Sesame mates. Street kind of presentation on TV? You mean? It was literally Sesame Street, but wow. this is the story they were telling. When I was traveling with black Africans in South Africa, I was... I noticed that several times they talked about going to Africa as if we weren't in Africa, as if South Africa was for them a place apart. And when I asked them about that, they seemed surprised at the question, but then acknowledged that they don't think of themselves as being in Africa. Is that, is that a common reference? That happened several times. That's actually really interesting because I describe myself as African, and in South Africa, if if a white South African says I'm African, they look at you funny. Actually, anybody in Africa would look at you funny if you're white and you say that you're African. So it it's everybody's. I think it comes from everybody's background, how you were brought up, your view on things in the greater scheme of, of, of politics and history and, and culture. So it is really interesting because it's different for everybody. But you're saying uh, to be, when you talk about Africa, you're talking about black Africa. I think they are, they are thinking of the darker Africa is Africa. Right. Right. The, the less primitive. me to be with a black South African who told me they'd never been to Africa. <laughs> it was just an odd comment to have to assimilate. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a, a reason to go to South Africa, I guess, and learn more about that. <laughs> right. Andy, we've got more calls, so thank you very much for your insights. Thank you. Okay, bye now. It's time to boogie. There's more about travel to South Africa with Carmen Arnott in just a moment on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-7425. That's our phone number. And the email is radio at ricksteves.com. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and I'm talking with Carmen Arnott. She's a person who was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa. Now she works in the United States, helping people set up their South African travels. Carmen, we've been talking about safaris, but there's a parallel um, attraction to South Africa for me, and that's the, the, the traditional tribal lifestyles and so on. What is the, the status right now? Because South Africa really is an anomaly in Africa as far as how developed it is and how affluent it is. When people go to South Africa, will they really see tribal um, villages in the wild and, and people dancing on the hilltops and so on? Or how do you connect with Zulu culture? There are two ways to connect with Zulu culture. You could either do the traditional village visit experience, which is not a reflection of how the Zulu people are currently living. It's their traditional lifestyle, their traditional, the the way their huts were built, um, the, what the woman's role was, what the man's role was, war techniques, things like that. So that's an open-air folk museum with Zulu people um, welcoming people and showing them how their ancestors used to live. Or very something. much so, yes. Okay. And they were very proud people. Right. Uh, especially the Zulu. So that is definitely available and it's readily available throughout South Africa. Mm. If you wanted to do a 
truly untouristy cultural experience, there are still people living out in the rural areas of South Africa that have managed to incorporate the demands of the modern world with their traditional beliefs. Um, so there are still villages that you can go and visit, but they're not in their loincloths, for example. Right. They're dressed like, like, like we would be. Okay. So um, the modern world is pretty much permeated South Africa. Definitely. Now, if we're thinking about um, our urban experience, you mentioned Cape Town was more interesting than Johannesburg for our focus. Uh, these are very fast-growing cities, I, I understand. I mean, Cape Town is, uh, does it feel thriving? Does it feel European? What's the general feeling when you walk down the streets of Cape Town? It is. It's very cosmopolitan, and I like to compare it to Europe because it's got a great outdoor cafe culture type experience. So um, lots of umbrellas and sidewalk cafes and people walking around the city. Um, it's And it's such a beautiful city as well. Uh, with the mountain looming over the downtown area. Now, you were born and raised in around Cape Town, is that right? Yes. What year was apartheid finally uh, overthrown or stopped, the whole apartheid system? It was 12 years ago, I 12 believe. 12 years ago. Okay, so, so it's so the 90, early 90s. 94. Uh, what kind of legacy has that left when a, a tourist comes in there? Is there still a tension, or does it just feel like a, a, a wonderful, you know, a multiracial world? Uh, what, what's the real story there? That is such a difficult question to answer um, because it's it's such a complex issue. Um, mm -hmm. South Africa has come so far in the 12 years and it's an amazing country that I think every South African is really proud of. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what your background is, you're really proud of how South Africa has gotten through changing over from the apartheid era to the South Africa of today. Boy, yeah, undeniably, you've made huge progress. Huge. But, you know, I, when I was uh, younger, I worked in my dad's piano store, and he imported pianos from South Africa. And I remember people wouldn't buy those pianos because they just didn't want to support South Africa, even after the end of apartheid. I think some of that sort of lingers. In your tour sales, do you have, do you have to deal with that? at all? Do people have still a, a problem with going to South Africa because of its apartheid heritage? I haven't, I haven't experienced much of that um, with regards to um, selling tourism, but I have on a personal basis. Whenever I go to a function, people will say, oh, you're South African. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of questions and a lot of assumptions made. Um, so it's, it is really interesting for me, especially living here in the United States. Because you're in the next generation. I mean, if there were people that you were, you were probably too young to be an active part of apartheid. And I know in all over the world, when a little history goes by, then they can deal with the problems and actually have museums about this and, and know mm. where they've come. It must be very interesting for you to deal with that when you go back home. It, it is really interesting. I, I wish I could say that when I go home, I'm always amazed at how much change has happened and how much we're moving forward. But I am always amazed at how slowly the change is happening. And I I am a realist. I understand that it can't all change overnight. And there's um, huge poor segments of populations. We've seen it in the news in France recently and, of course, in the United States. Mm -hmm. The poor uh, peoples of, of uh, rich countries a lot of times are put outside of town and so on or out of sight. When you go to Cape Town, I would imagine a tourist can feel like it's a very affluent world. Do you have a, is there, are there certain neighborhoods where all the poor are or is it? Actually, <laughs> the, the drive from Cape Town Airport into the city, you cannot escape the fact that you are now in a very first and third world country. You have to go through one of Cape Town's biggest townships in order to get on, on into the city. So you're immediately um, confronted with the reality of there are massive amounts of poor people, mm -hmm. high unemployment, there is crime, you know, usually with poverty and unemployment comes crime. Mm -hmm. So you can't escape that. It's, it's, it's the reality of South Africa. And that relates to this new kind of tourism, which is people who want to visit the townships. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today's guest is South African tour organizer Carmen Arnott. We have Paul on the line in Ottawa, Ontario. Paul, thanks for your call. Thank you for, thank you for taking it. Uh, this has been a, a most uh, interesting discussion, and I have to say that, uh, um, with Carmen's comment, I, I have had the good fortune of four years ago being in South, South Africa, in Cape Town. I went there on, on, on a business trip and ended up spending and talking and seeing the sorts of things that uh, Carmen said, and I have to echo. It's just an absolutely gorgeous part of the world. Uh, I would say it's a cross between Vancouver and Vancouver and San Francisco and uh, so many other things thrown in. But wow, I that's a major compliment in my mind. Uh, in um, I I was there and took a 
uh, small bus tour of the townships, and it was a wonderful and enlightening experience for myself. Um, we were all white tourists with a black guide who lived in in South Africa. Was part of the, uh, we went to District Six Museum for part of the, the, that that story, and had uh, visited a community center, visited a bed and breakfast while we were there, and in a township. In the township. So, white tour group in a completely black township yes. with a black guide. Yes. You felt comfortable? You felt like intruders? I felt very, very comfortable. Uh, we went from, we went from a, you know, as Carmen has described, from a well-to-do area of, I mean, th- these townships are cities. I mean, they're talking about so a million people. So they have wealthy areas talking. and poor areas within the township. Absolutely, yes, yes. And, uh, but there was the, the, the sense I got when we were there uh, was one of uh, a gaping tourist at times. Um, sure. That it was... Um, as well as well as we were treated, as respectfully as we were treated, um, we visited who I understand is an icon in in Cape Town, uh, who makes ornaments out of uh, recycled aluminum cans and um, golden. He's he's called, and we visited him. Uh, we uh, uh, we visited Shabin, one of the that's a legal uh, drinking spot during the days of apartheid. Um, I was struck that uh, hmm. that they served South African beer as well as my a Canadian beer, which I had never seen in Canada for many years. And uh, but it was um, it, I, I still left there and went back to my you know hotel in on the waterfront and felt that I got a sense of it. But I I, I was always concerned about how is this viewed and is it, with staying there in in our uh, bed and breakfast, which are becoming more and more uh, common, I understand, or, or at least a little more common. Than oh, to, to actually sleep in a B and B in the yes. township. Where, where, the, if that where the tourism yeah. comes from within, where the people themselves uh, open up their homes to to tourists and right. and, and have com- accommodations. And I'm traveling there this fall with my family, who who've heard nothing but uh, South Africa since I got home four years ago. How I fell in love with that country. It is. Uh, it is just a, a, an incredibly beautiful, accessible, um, and culturally diverse place to experience. That uh, so, I, Paul, I, excuse me. Are you saying that you're after having this black escort through a township? You're kind of wondering if that person was shielding you from the real experience or giving you legitimacy and safety and information. Yeah, and I just I didn't know what it, if there was just, is this a part of a responsible tourism, uh, right. or is it is it is, is it simply taking advantage of those who and I didn't consider myself to be, but at, at times I wondered, a voyeur. Um. Yeah, well, what about this? What if you stayed in a and b in the township? Wouldn't that give you a more real experience? Certainly, it would. Um, and you'd be uh, contributing and, to the economy. And, and that's really the difference between a tourist experience where the local people are not getting anything from it and we're just mm-hmm. going and gawking at them versus a truly authentic experience where you're welcomed in by by the local community eating and sleeping with the local yeah. in the local community and now it it's really important to try and decide and this is always the hard thing with travel how do you decipher between the tourist traps and the really authentic experience right and um and i really do recommend that you phone various companies that are doing the tours into and out of the townships and ask them some really important questions how much of my fee to go in there today is actually staying in the community right. Is your guide a member of that community? So am I actually employing somebody from that community? That's good. Um, and then, you know, the, usually when you're in there, there's there's various options. As you said, you stopped at the Shabin. You had maybe some food. You had some something to drink. So that's, again, supporting a business through tourism. Okay. But then you're also probably buying things from the local artists that are creating all the various things. So... It, it really is important to give back to the community and make sure that they're benefiting from this experience. So this really is the challenge. Anybody with a few bucks can take a safari and check out the wonderful skyline of modern Cape Town. But somebody who wants the real experience can find a way either to tour a township or to actually be in a township. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, the challenge and that's the question we're dealing with. And it's uh, not an easy answer. Paul, thanks for your call. So we've got the um, the big city, we've got the townships, we've got the safari, and you mentioned also, Carmen, the wine country. And we've got Charles on the phone from Spring Hill in Florida, who's interested in wine in South That's Africa. That's correct. Charles, thanks Hi, for your Rick. call. Well, my wife and I were, were was thinking about visiting South Africa, specifically the wine regions of Parle and Stellenbosch. Is there any suggestions about tour books or websites or, or that type of thing, other than just... Uh, going to the winery. Okay. Um, Stellenbosch 
uh, as as a town, has the most amazing tourism website and tourism office, and they give out free maps of the wine country of, and they list every single wine estate. Which, if you had a month, you could maybe see them all. <laughs> so the the Stellenbosch region is definitely um, accessible. There's tons of information, and they have a great website. Unfortunately, I don't know that out of my head, but we we will put that on our website along with Carmen's website. So, Charles, you can check that out at, at ricksteves.com. In the radio corner, we always list the resources to support our interview. So that's the Stellenbach website coming up. And okay. then also, I would recommend that you um, schedule in a little time for the town of Franchhoek. It It is its own wine region, and it's just north of Stellenbosch and it's it's it has instead of the Cape Dutch history it has the French Huguenot history so I really recommend the town of French Hook great wineries great eateries Carmen what is that French Hook yes and that's spelled like kind of like French Hook F-R-A-N-S-C-H-O-E-K French Hook so that's probably the Dutch way of saying uh, French, French corner, corner or something correct yeah, French yes. corner wow so you got this interesting European, uh, the, the sort of this European uh, heritage. Very there. much so. Dutch and French mostly. And British. And British. Now, um, Charles, you're going all the way over there to check out wine. I mean, why don't you just go to California? Well, that's a very good question, which I've already done. But uh, my wife happened to say, instead of you and I going, she said, why don't you do it as a guy trip, and then you could do a safari. That's more of a guy type of thing. Is a safari but, more of a guy type thing, Carmen? Um. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, um. You know what I think is a guy type thing is sailing around the Cape of Good Hope. That's been that's got a lot of sailors very excited. And that's excited. definitely something still... you can do. Hey Charles, thanks for your call. Why? Thank you for having me. You bet. I want to wrap things up. Car- By the way, I'm talking with Carmen Arnott. She's a, a tour planner. Works for Wildland Adventures. Their website is wildland.com. Carmen, just the quick practicalities. When you fly from the United States to South Africa, do you go through Europe usually, change in London? Actually, South African Airways flies direct out of New York, JFK, and Washington, D.C. So most people find that's the most economic and efficient is to go South African, changing on the east coast of the United States. South African Airways is one of the options, uh-huh. and it's definitely the faster of the two options. Another option would be to go with any of the European airlines into Europe and then down. Okay. Red tape. Do you need a passport? Do you need a visa? You have to have a passport. You do not need a visa for South Africa. Your passport has to be valid at least six months. And you have to have, and this is a new rule, but very important, you have to have at least three blank pages in your passport to accommodate all the stamps. What a drag. Three pages you got to give of your passport to South Africa. And they have started turning people away for not having enough blank pages. So that's very important to know. Why all the stamps? I'm not sure, really. Huh. So I, now, I if you have a passport that needs extra, I've had to do this. You can go into the passport office, and they can either issue you another passport if you're out of stamps, or they can give you like an accordion. I think they they paste into it. I think yeah. If, if your passport is still valid for quite a length of time, they'll just give you extra pages. Right it, now, for independent travelers who just want to go on their own, is there one? Are there good guidebooks for South Africa? Yes. What do you are. like? I really like the Brandt guidebooks because they, they're really good wildlife guides. B R A N D T um, Brandt. Okay, yes. that's good um, to know. Really good safari guides. And Cape Town, I'm sure, has its guides. Oh, yes. Uh, language barrier. Do people speak uh, English? Everybody speaks English. Um, What's the first language? English. So there you go. Even in the countryside and so yes. on. All right. And um, cost. If you're just on your own, is it about, like in Cape Town, is cost about the same as uh, Germany or something like this? I would say it's less expensive. Um, less the, ex- the, the South African economy is, is really strong at the moment, and their currency has, has strengthened quite a bit. Um, so it's it's less expensive than Europe, definitely. Food, for example, um, drinks, beer, wine is very cheap by by U.S. standards. But your accommodation is pretty similar. About the same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just to wrap things up, you're South African. You must like it when people go to visit your home country. If I was to take home just one image of South Africa that really represents South Africa today, what would it be? One photograph. The picture of Nelson Mandela standing on Freedom Square. Nelson Mandela standing on Freedom Square. Yeah, he's definitely everyone's hero, as you've heard earlier. That's an inspiration. Carmen Arnott, thank you so much for joining us, and I've learned a lot about South Africa. Thanks for having me. We'd like to give you the last song, our anthem song, Kosisigelele Afri. Kosisigelele Afri. Malopagan Yesu, tumolwayo, 
Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. You can use our website to listen to program archives and to submit your questions and comments for Rick to be included on future editions of the show. It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. On today's program, we heard excerpts from the South Africa anthem, Nikosi Sikalela, or God Bless Africa. It was sung by Maia, Sharon Katz and the Peace Train, the Soweto Gospel Choir, and Ladysmith Black Mombazo and orchestrated by Enoch Mankaye Santonga. The theme music to our program is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us again next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.